This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. It is our prayer that you will be blessed by the preaching of God's Word. There is no one like our God on the entire planet. Amen? No one like our God anywhere in the world. And that is the lesson of the book of Exodus tonight as we turn to Exodus chapter 6 and verse 20. God wants you to know there's nobody like Him. He wants the Egyptians to know there's no one like Him. He wants His name to be greatly honored, glorified, and praised all around the world. And so we're in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 20 tonight as we take up the story of Moses and and Aaron. And so I'd like you to read with me. Now, you know, uh, as you read the Bible, you may wonder, why does God put stuff in the Bible? Why does He put certain stories? Why does He put certain genealogies? I think it kind of shows you in the story tonight things come alive, and I hope you understand that and take it to heart for yourself. Look, if you would, at Exodus chapter 6 and verse 20, the Bible says, And Amram took Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses, and the years of the life of Amram were a hundred and thirty-seven years. Father, I pray tonight that you would help us to recognize that there is none like you. I pray you'd help us tonight to leave praising you, magnifying you, lifting you up, thinking of how great you are, and wondrously uh, bragging about how good a God you are. And I'll give you praise for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some family history about uh, Moses here in the first part of the story. Chapter 6, verse 20. You see some story there. It might seem to you that these parents aren't important in the story, but God took time to list them. I would just like you to consider this with me. When you're a mom and a dad, you really don't know what you have in your home. We all think our kids are good looking, and we all expect great things from our children, and we're always proud of our children, and there's no doubt about that. But God took the time to give us a little bit of the background of old Moses, and he said, uh, uh, he said, she bare him Aaron and Moses. And he listed a whole bunch of other names that I didn't take the time to read because I don't pronounce those names well. But God thought those parents were important enough to list them in the story and to say they bear Aaron and Moses. You should be careful to remember that you are loaned a child to be raised for God. You should be careful to realize that you are loaned a child to be raised for God. When Betty and I were young and Chris was born and we thought he was such a good-looking baby, I'm not sure anybody else thought that, but when you're, you're always thinking that about your own, we used to brag and joke about, uh, we used to brag and joke about, hey, uh, we are a fantastic baby-making machine, buddy. We turn out some beautiful babies. Well, here's what the story is in the Bible. Hey, Moses and Aaron, they're really gods. Say amen. And God loans them those babies. Realize that God is going to use your child, and you do not know how. You certainly don't want to hinder whatever it is that God has planned for your children. And so I'd just like to remind you, you got to get in the story, in the Bible, and you got to go back in the story, Bible story, uh, back to the time they got this little baby. they got two kids. they got Aaron, who's an older brother who has somehow survived the, the genocide that's going on, the killing of the babies that's going on and he's got a younger brother named uh, Moses and I'm pretty sure from the scriptures that they had no idea that the baby they were birthing was going to be the guy who would write the first five books of the Bible. I'm pretty sure they had no idea that he was going to be one of the most famous men in all of Bible history. One of the most mentioned men in all of Bible history. I'm pretty sure they didn't know that but God chose to allow Moses' 
name to be great, allowed Moses to be great, and he put mom and dad's name in there. And I would just like to remind you, I think it is, I think that, uh, I think that it's pretty tough for you to realize this. Those children weren't given to you for you. They were given to you to serve God. And they were put in your care and your keeping and everything you have and everything you are belongs to God. And you should take the time to say, these children were given to me and I'm going to raise them for God to do with them whatever God sees fit to do with them. And I won't hinder that and I won't send them the way. And I think that's what happens in the story of Aaron and Moses. Go with me if you would to chapter 7 and verse 7. In chapter 7 and verse 7, at the story as we begin, we need a picture of these guys. We need to know what Moses might look like in our mind. We need a picture of him. We need a picture of Aaron. And if you'd notice, they're not young men. Uh, Mr. Moses is 80 years old. And Aaron is 83 years old. That's how old they were when they went in to speak to Pharaoh. Now, I'm looking around to make sure, but I think I'm the oldest person in the room except for Lisa's mom. I'm the oldest person in the room. So just remember, if, if, if Moses were here and uh, Aaron were here, they would look at me and Joe, they'd look at you and they'd say, hey boys, hey sonnies, how y'all doing? They would think we were kids. These are grown men that God is going to use. So possibly, possibly God's not finished with you. Possibly it's not time for you to think about being set on the shelf. Possibly it's not time for you to be backing up but time for you to be getting busy. Look, if you would, at chapter 6 and verse 23. This is just an interesting note is because you got it in a genealogy. You're going to learn about two of these sons, and I won't take the time to tell you the story now, but in chapter 6 and verse 23, Aaron took him Elisheba, daughter of Abimadad, and Nashon to wife, and she bare him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar. You're going to find out about those boys a little bit later on, two of them. All we can do is raise our children the best we can with the best possible example. Some of you are Bible students. So you already know that Aaron's sons are going to get mixed up and they're going to mess up and they're going to offer some strange fire and God is going to kill them. Help them to know, help your children to know how great God is and how great God's work is. Help them to understand that serving God's not optional and it can't be done the way you want to or the way you think. Help them to never get used to or take for granted the things of God and the worship of God. I'd just like to say something to you that I think is a major problem in South United States, the southern part of the United States. It's a problem I didn't run into in America, uh, in Peru. In Peru, there was this awe about church. And you'd have to understand, they came to their church building and it wasn't much. Many of the church buildings had dirt floors. Many of the church buildings had literally dirt floors uh, some of them would have dust on the floor sometimes two three four inches because we live in a desert we lived in a desert down there and, uh, and and the building would be made out of rough brick that wasn't finished it was just brick or or this big uh, a volcanic rock that we made the thing out of but people thought it was really something they thought they were going to the place where they would serve god and they took it quite seriously especially as we began people would get there early at night it was always so funny we'd get to church early and there would be some people like you that would have gotten to church early and they would have water buckets and they would be taking water and sprinkling it all over the floor you'd walk in the room and there'd be seven or eight people and they'd all have a water bucket under their shoulder and they're sprinkling this water over so they could get the dust to lay down you don't try to sweep the dust or you'll never breathe again 
You just get it wet so it'll stay down and stay out of your way. And they would be dusting off the chairs. They'd be getting everything ready. And, 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 and I hate to say this, but there's a whole different way about it. When, when I stepped up to preach, it was like, man, grab your Bible, grab your ink pen, grab your notebook, take notes. I've been to people's houses that have been, got saved 25 years ago. They still got notes from the first messages. It was like wild. They were excited about being in God's house. And here's what's going to happen, man. Aaron and Moses are on the cutting edge. But it only took one generation for Aaron's kids to get where they're so used to the things that go on at church and so used to what God does that the thrill is gone. The awe is gone. They saw great and mighty things, but they lost the thrill. They lost the excitement. It's something I have to work at a lot. Uh, so I have to work out a lot. Uh, you know, when, when, when I first got saved, I used to hear preachers say, that person was gloriously saved. And I used to think to me, what does that mean, gloriously saved? Did they cry more than other people cried? Uh, did they shout when they cried? Who gets gloriously saved and who gets regular saved? And I tried to figure all that out. But what happens is we begin to lose the all. You need to help your children realize, man, we're going to the house of God. We're not going to go hear Austin preach. We're not going to go hear Ed lead singing. We're not going to go watch Kristen play the piano. We're going to meet with God. We're going to open the Bible. We're going to spend time with God. And this is important to us. We don't take it for granted. We don't take it lightly because it will end up causing some trouble. Aaron and Moses are just regular people in a family history that God chose to use. So if you would, look, at, look, in, uh, look in chapter uh, 6, I believe that is. I didn't mark that one down in my notes here. These are that Aaron and Moses. These are that Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to the armies. I want to tell you who they were. I want to tell you where they came from. I want to let you know they were just regular people I chose to use. These are not super people. This is not Spider-Man and Superman. They didn't come from another planet to come down and help us. They were born and raised in good godly homes, and God is going to use them. So here's the first thing. All that's introduction. Here's the first thing. And if we get through, we're going to go all the way into chapter 8. So you better get your Bible out and stay in the book of Exodus with me and just mark some things. The first thing, when do we quit doubting? When do we quit doubting? Moses is still doubting after all that he's seen God do. Look at chapter 6 and verse 28. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. And speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that all that, uh, all that I say unto thee. What Moses had seen should have already had him ready to believe God and act. If anybody has seen God do some wild and crazy things, let me tell you, TBN has to fake it to get half of what we've seen Moses see. He saw a burning bush. It would not burn up. He heard God speak to him audibly. He saw his rod become a snake, eat other snakes, and become a rod again. He saw his hand become leprous and healthy again. He saw water turn to blood. He, say, he, had, he, had, uh, he had God get in his face and tell him that he was God. But Moses is still focused on what we focus on. I am unable. I am incapable. I'm not able to do that. Look, if you would, with me at chapter 6 and verse 30. Mo Moses says in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 30. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Moses says, God, I know I've seen you do big stuff. 
And God, I know that I've seen you show me all these miracles, and I know you've shown me your power, and, I, and I've taken a few steps for you, and I've seen you do a few things. And instead of thinking, God did this, and I ought to be have enough courage, and God did this, and so that ought to give me more courage, and God did this, and I ought to give me more courage, I can almost, almost start off running and believe that God's going to do something. The opposite happened in Moses' life. God did some things, and then God did some more things, and God did some more things, and God said, Moses, now you see how good I am. Go do this. And Moses says, uh-uh, uh-uh. Uh-uh, I can't. It's, it's, not, it's, it's beyond me. I have uncircumcised lips. I have uncircumcised lips. Lips that aren't fit to be used. Lips that are worthy, dirt, wor- uh, unworthy, dirty, and useless. No matter what God has told Moses to do, he doesn't believe God can use him. Moses still doesn't believe that God can use him. Moses is focused on who he is and, who is, and not on who is sending him and giving him the power to be used. But I just stop and ask you a question. Would you be honest? Some of you could be getting involved in Sunday school. You could run up there and take one of those Sunday school classes, start working with the children. We wouldn't have to be going around trying to figure out who we could use. You could be one of those Sunday school teachers. You could be involved in the choir. We could fill the choir up, and it wouldn't be what it is. To, you know, today it's really not exactly what you call a thriving ministry with people just flowing over, getting here early and practicing and stuff. And, and, and you really could go out and you could witness and, and you could see God do some stuff because you have seen God do stuff. How many of you have seen God do stuff? Say amen. How you saw God save you? Say amen. You saw him save you. You saw him change you. You've seen him work in your family. You've seen him do great things. And and you're on the verge. And even in your heart when no one's talking to you, you've even had ideas and thoughts that God might want to do something big with you. But instead of taking that next step and going out and doing whatever it is God would have, you're like, I've got uncircumcised lips. I could never sing well enough. I can never be a good enough teacher. I don't have enough time. And you've come up with a whole litany of excuses. That's what Moses did. That's what old Moses is doing in the story. At a time when he should be being used of God, he's coming up with stuff. So God reminds him, chapter 7, verse 1, you got your Bible open? In chapter 7, verse 1, God reminds Moses what he's done. He said, the Lord said to Moses, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh and Aaron. Thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children out of the land. Of e- out of the land. He said, wait a minute, Moses, do you realize what I've done? Have you not seen my power? Do you not know that I know what I'm doing? Do you not know that I can accomplish great things with you? You're not even the one that's going to be doing the talking, Moses. Who You're talking about your lips, but it's going to be Aaron's lips anyway. You're just making excuses. I simply want you to obey me. I will have Aaron speak. You'll just tell him what to say. Can you follow instructions? How hard can this be? God's the one doing the work. Aaron's the one doing the talking. All you have to do is listen to me and tell Aaron what I said. The real question is, will you listen, believe, obey as God works? See, I don't know if you've got a picture of the story, but I, got, I, I can just see this like the wildest thing. They walk in there, and when they walk in, so far in the story, as they walk in, Aaron and Moses are walking in there together. And as Aaron walks in and Moses walks in, Moses is the big man, and everybody knows it. Pharaoh knows that Moses is the big man. And so Pharaoh said, all right, Moses, what do you want? And Moses leans over and says, tell him God told me to tell him to let the people go. And Aaron says, God wants you to let the people go. He said, I'm talking to Moses. He said, you just tell him God told me to tell you what to say, and he just do it the way we do it. It's sort of like the weirdest little thing. We always say, God, okay, good. 
God said to go ahead and tell him this. God said, throw your rod down now. Throw your rod down now. I don't read the story. That's what's going on here. You're not as big and important as you think you are, and you're holding yourself back when you could be a Sunday school teacher, you could be a disciple, you could be involved in ministry, but you've been making excuses like old Moses has been. God just wants to know, will you obey? By the way, did you know God wants none of you to be sitting on the pew? God wants none of you to be sitting on the pew. God wants none of we, The chairs are not going to float away. And regardless of how many preachers you've heard say we can't all preach, somebody's got to sit here and listen to us. If you'll go preach, enough people will come. We'll keep having people. You say amen. Get involved in ministry. God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Look at you at Exodus chapter 7 and verse 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto me that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by, by great judgments. Pharaoh has said already that he doesn't believe in God. You remember? Moses went in to speak to him and Aaron and Moses were talking to him and he said, I don't know your God and I don't respect your God and I will not do what your God says to do. He said he wouldn't obey. He has shown no respect for God. He's shown no respect for God's word. And now God is going to bring judgment on him. But the end result of everything that's going to happen, the story hinges around this thought. Look at chapter 7 and verse 5. The story hinges around this thought. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Would you read this part with me out loud? The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Can you read that part with me? Everybody can say it out loud with me. You ready? The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Oh, well, who's I know you've seen Hollywood movies and you've seen Burt Lancaster and you've seen other guys that are making new movies and it's like Moses is somebody powerful and Aaron is somebody powerful. But in the story, God said, no, I'm the one that's powerful and I'm the one that's making sure that everybody knows I'm the one who's big and doing stuff. That's why God can use you. That's why God could use you in the life of a young child in a Sunday school class. That's why God could use you in children's church. That's why God could use you to bring people to church. That's why God could use you. It's because he's not trying to make you somebody big. He's trying to show how big he is. He just wants everybody to know God is big. Amen. That's what he's trying to get across. God's goal is that the world know who he is. He will get the glory for being the one and only true God. Creator of the universe, one way or another. You two will recognize him one way or other. Second thing. So they were scared. That's the first thing. They were scared. They were nervous. Now, I don't know of a time that I get ready to teach or preach that I don't get some of that nervousness, especially when I go somewhere else to preach. And I walk into a church and I don't know who I'm talking to. And I don't know what they think. And I don't know what's going on. And you might say, Austin probably never gets nervous. And Austin's probably never worried about things. I am terrified of teachers and workers meeting. I still am terrified of going to a teachers and workers meeting. I really am. And here I am. I'm going to go out there and teach it. We have that excuse. But you've got to quit using that excuse, and you've got to stand up and say, I'm going to let God use me. I am going to be an instrument in his hand for his honor and for his glory. Number two, Moses and Aaron are going in his authority. Just write down his authority. Chapter 7, verse 16. Look at that if you would. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me. 
unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. So when they walk in, the answer of the words aren't Moses or Aaron saying, Hey, let our people go. They walk in and they say, We're here in the name of the God of heaven. We're here in the name of the God of the Hebrews. We're here in the name of the Jehovah God, the one and only God, the real God, the creator God. We're here in his name. And he said, tell you, let his people go. That's what he said, tell you. So they didn't go in their authority. And we don't go in our authority. We don't witness in our authority. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't uh, do foundations in our authority. We don't teach a Sunday school class in our authority. We don't sing a song in the choir in our authority. We don't sing a special in our authority. We don't play an instrument in our authority. We don't even set up chairs in our authority. It's all about Jesus. God tells them that Pharaoh will be wanting to see one of the parlor tricks. Oh, Pharaoh's getting to where he likes to see Moses coming. Because when Moses comes, he, be, he does these tricks. And every time, the guys that work for Pharaoh can do the same stuff. So look, if you would, at chapter 7 and verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you and say, Show me a miracle. Hey, glad to see you, boys. Show me a miracle. What new trick you got up your sleeves today? You shall say unto Aaron, you tell Aaron, Take your rod and cast it down before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And they do. he does. Immediately in chapter 7 and verse 11, the magicians do the exact same thing. It says in verse 11, they also did in like manner. And in verse 12, Aaron's rod swallowed their rod. And Pharaoh can see that his magicians, his witch doctors can do the same thing. And he is not impressed with God's show of power. And God's going to harden his heart. Before I read you that verse, can I just tell you, if we do in Sunday school and church what Dr. Phil can do better than we can do, what... What Oprah can do better than we can do. They got more philosophy. They got doctor's degrees. They can bring in the highest falutin' people in the planet. And you are not on a par or level to try to give good specific advice to them about any of those subjects they talk about. But you are way above them when you say, I came today in the name of the God of heaven. I have his book open and I'm going to show you what he said. Now you got authority. People talk about credentials. Well, he's got a doctor's degree. Well, whoop-de-doo. Moses said, doctor's degree or no, I come in the name of the God of heaven, so you better listen to me. God sent me. God spoke, and I'm opening God's word. Your credentials are, I'm opening God's word, and I'm going to teach you God's word. Chapter 7, verse 13. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Pharaoh's gone too far. He's rejected God. And now God is rejecting him. God, God will not allow you, us people, to constantly tell him he's a nobody, ignore him, so that he'll get to a point that he hardens Pharaoh's heart. So God's going to use the rod to show that he's truly God. Look at chapter 7 and verse 17. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. I will smite. Now look who's talking. I wish you'd mark that in the story. You've got to get the Bible story right. Moses, said, I, Moses didn't say it. God said, I will smite with the rod. I'm the one who's going to do the work. Aaron, it's not going to be you. 
It's really not the stick, Aaron. And it's really not how you swing the stick, Aaron. And Moses, it's not really how you hang on to the bat when you swing the bat. I am going to show my power. The river, their lifeline will be turned to blood. The fish will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will be without drinking water. It will not matter where the water is. It's going to turn to blood everywhere. If the river, once the river, the river starts running blood. And so they all think, let's run back to the house and get our well and pump up the, the bucket and get a glass of water out. And when they do, up comes, up comes blood. And when they go over to the fishing hole, there's blood. And when they go to the river and the creek and the pond, it's all blood. That's chapter 7 and verse 19. All the fish died. The river stunk. The magicians couldn't solve the problem. The witch doctors can't solve the problem, but they can imitate the problem. In chapter 7 and verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And neither did he hearken to them as the Lord had said. Amazingly, the magicians repeat this judgment. That only makes things worse. It's, a, it's enough to convince Pharaoh, however, that the God of the Hebrews is nothing special. My witch doctors can do the same. This lesson's not enough to convince Pharaoh. And in chapter 7 and verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went into his house and said, I ain't listening. My, my magicians can do it, and you can do it, and I will not pay attention. There are two things I've tried to help you see tonight as we get started. Number one, Moses was afraid. Are you afraid? Are you afraid? Are you afraid to be involved in ministry? Are you afraid to witness to the person at work? Are you afraid to share the gospel track? Are you afraid to mention Jesus to somebody? You've you, you got to understand you're not alone. You're not the first one that's been there. Moses was there, and Moses was scared. Moses didn't want to talk. The second thing you need to realize is you don't go in your own power. We never do ministry in our own power and our own ability. We don't do what we're able to do. We, we do what God can do. We step forward in God's power. So there aren't any special young men or special old men or special young ladies or special old ladies that can do something for God. It's always God. And if you could back off and understand that, you could walk into that Sunday school class, and yes, you're going to study, and yes, you're going to pray, and yes, you're going to get material, and yes, you're going to learn how to do stuff. But when you sat down to teach that class, you could say, God, please use me. I need your power. And you could start teaching, and, and you don't even know what you're doing. You don't have the ability to change people's lives. But Moses didn't have any ability those days when he stepped out. It wasn't Moses' ability. We're so quick. We like to think of how great Moses was. The story is not about how great Moses was. The story is about how great the God who sent Moses was. The story is not about how good Rod could, uh, Aaron could swing the rod. The story was about how powerful the God was that could use a dead stick and do great miracles. You can be used of God. There's no other God like our God. Get off the pew. Get off the bench and get in the game. Find something you can do. Let God use you so you can go home and tell stories about the greatness of your God. When I was a little boy, and we, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't my, my grandparents didn't have a TV. And we would go up there and stay at their house, and things were so different. You know, they had lights that hung on, on, on the electrical cord, just hung out of the roof, and there was a bulb at the end of it in the rooms, and at night, everybody pretty well gathered in one room, and 
we were told to be quiet, children are to be seen and not heard. And I would listen to them talk. And I'd listen to my granddaddy, and my granddaddy would be talking to my dad and my, and my mom and other, other of his kids there. And I was a little fellow sitting over in the corner, and my granddaddy would say, my granddaddy would talk about how he'd been to the meeting house. So they, they never called it church. He said, we was at the meeting house. We was at the meeting house, and he said God came down and worked, and he talked about how people came, and the meeting house was full, and people were standing at the windows listening, and how God was doing all these great miracles. I can remember as a little kid thinking in my, in my heart, God, someday I want to go to the meeting house and see that happen. God, I want you to do something big. I think that's where you are. I think you really do want your life to count. I think you really do want to be involved in ministry. I think inside you're saying, if also would come and tag me and tell me to do it, I would go do it. But you're, you're hung up on, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Who's not afraid? Moses was afraid. He wrote five books of the Bible. He was afraid. And then the second thing you're thinking is, I'm not sure I'm good enough. And Moses is, God's even telling Moses, you ain't good enough. I'm the one going to do the work. It's going to be my power. Third lesson you should see. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. Moses goes back to see Pharaoh again in chapter 8, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and said, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus says the Lord. Underline that. He didn't go in there with his own words. He didn't write his own speech. He said, I came to tell you. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Go unto Pharaoh and say, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Pharaoh is warned that if he won't obey God, that frogs are going to come out all over the country. In chapter 8 and verse 2, If thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs, and the rivers will bring forth frogs abundantly, and they'll climb into your house and they'll get in your bed. They'll climb into your oven and they'll climb into the place where you need the bread, where you make bread. They'll be in there and the frogs will come on everybody and upon your people and upon all the service. All, all your servants. Pharaoh's already seen what God can do. He knows that these are not idle threats. However, he believes that his gods are just as powerful. He's still holding on to, my magicians are able to do it. In his pride, he can't admit that God is greater than he is. He's a God too. So the frogs come, and the stupid magicians come out and make more frogs. Now, who would want more frogs? Chapter 8, verse 7, And the magicians did so with the enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. I'd have been like, I don't need more frogs. I want you to get rid of the frogs. The magicians are like, we can make frogs. We're not in a frog getting rid of business, but we can make frogs. That's what religion does. It can cause people to see miracles, but not the kind that free them from sin and misery. It can be powerful looking, but powerless to save us from our condition. I'm going to stop right quickly and just say to you, you live in a day and time when miracles are a part of Christianity, but they're a hoax. They're a hoax. Your TBN guys and your, and, and, and your people that are working all these miracles, they're a hoax. They're magician's tricks. They're witch doctor tricks. The real power is not in making frogs. The real power is not in making water turn to blood. The real power is making sinners into saints. And that's what our God specializes in. And you ought not fall for that trick that Satan would bring. Pharaoh knows that, man, you can't ask my dumb 
magicians around here. If you ask them for any help, they'll just bring more frogs. I got frogs in my bedroom. I got frogs in my toilet. I got frogs in the, in the, I got frogs in the kitchen. Uh, my wife went to make bread, and there were frogs dancing around in the place where she makes bread. There are frogs everywhere. I called for my magicians, and what they do? They made more frogs. He said, somebody call Moses and ask him to come. Chapter 8, verse 8, look at what it says. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord. Hey, ask God that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice to the Lord. Moses says to Pharaoh in chapter 8 and verse 9, Look, buddy, me and you both know I didn't bring the frogs. God did, and your magicians can make more frogs, but the God of heaven is the only one that can take away frogs, and I'm just going to give you this honor. When you really get tired of the frogs, you call me, and I'll talk to my God, and he'll get rid of the frogs. And I want to do that way. I'm not, taking, I'm not getting rid of the frogs yet. I'm going to get rid of the frogs, and you call me and say, Okay, I give. Exterminators weren't able to get rid of them. I, I give. Only God can, he said, and I will give you that glory. Chapter 8 and verse 9, Moses said, Glory over me, when, I, when, I, when shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants to destroy the frogs? And they did. Look at chapter 8 and verse 10. And look at what it says. You've got to underline it. This is the point of the story. The point of the story is never to make Vision Baptist Church the great place. It's never to make the Sunday school teacher great. It's never to make the disciple great. It's to make God great. In verse 10, he said, And he said to Mara, and he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know, underline this, you got to underline this, that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Take your time, Pharaoh. Call in all your exterminators. Call the frog catchers. Get the businessmen and the entrepreneurs to start up businesses to get rid of frogs. You do all you can, and when you figure out you can't get rid of the frogs, you call me, and I'll ask God, and the frogs will be gone. God sent the frogs back to the river. The other frogs died. They started stacking them in piles all over the city. Cairo is now stacked knee-high in dead frog piles. The whole countryside stinks like dead frogs. As soon as Pharaoh was out of trouble again, though, guess what? He rejected God again. Chapter 8 and verse 15. Pharaoh saw that there was respite, and he hardened his heart. Isn't that how it works? We come looking for God and making promises when we're in trouble. When we need God, we seek Him, but when things settle back, we begin to doubt that He did the work in our lives. We begin to doubt that we need Him in our lives. We want Him for emergencies, for first aid. For help in time of need, but not for everyday life. Not to be the Lord of our life. Now, listen to what I'm about to tell you. I have found over the years that people come to God when they're in trouble. But after trouble goes away, we kind of get cold on God. And after we get rid of the frogs, and after the frogs quit stinking, we begin to think, you know, I don't, know, I don't even remember how we got rid of them frogs, but we got rid of the frogs. Hey, we've been through blood. We've been through blood. And we've been through frogs. We've been through every kind of problem you can be through. We always come out on the good side. And all of a sudden, we begin to think we don't need God. God saved you when you were a sinner. He showed you how wicked you were. And you have somehow crested the hill, and you really believe, I'm okay now. And you're coasting. You come to church, but you're not genuine. You're not real. Yes, you're saved. And yes, you're going to go to heaven when you die. And no, you don't have to do any work. But you were thrilled with how great God was. But now you're not. 
the Bible's not thrilling to you, going to church isn't thrilling to you, serving God isn't thrilling to you, and you're getting, you're getting calluses on your rear end. You come and you listen, but you're not involved. Moses said, yep, got rid of the frogs, and he quit. God is about to prove that he is God and will do so. Look at chapter 8 and verse 19. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened and uh, hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Moses was told to tell Aaron to stretch his rod out and smite the dust, and the dust would become mites. In chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, the Lord said, and they made mites. They made lice to come out all over the place. And the magicians attempted that, and they couldn't. And when they couldn't, they said, wow, that's some trick we can't pull off. We're not able to do that. And so there were lice on every man, on every beast. Have you ever seen a kid with lice? You ever had your kids in school when lice, a lice epidemic starts and they shave all the heads and putting all the junk on? Lice were everywhere. Does this tell you anything about the power of the devil to deceive people? He has great power. It's limited, but he has power. Do you believe in miracles and signs and wonders? Trust the Word of God. See, it is so easy for you to start seeing great things happen. I mean, they can make frogs. Okay, they make frogs. And they can do a lot of things, but they can never do all that God can do. And you're not judging things based on what the Word of God says. The key to the story is what's the Bible say? That's why we are such a ridiculously boring service. We just take the Bible and read it and say what the Bible says. And ain't nobody speaking in tongues. There's nobody getting healed, nobody getting slain in the Spirit. I hadn't knocked anybody down, and I hadn't boot-kicked anybody in the head since we started the church, which they're famous for doing. Because we aren't looking for signs and wonders. We're looking for Word of God. We're trusting what the God of the Bible says and how He says it. Then God sends flies in chapter 8 and verse 20. The Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and bring on the flies. But this time, God's really going to say, this ain't just a coincidence. you got to understand a little bit about the story. Can you see CNN at night? When the news comes on, CNN says, something really weird has happened. We're not sure exactly what's happened with its oxidation in the pipes from the power treatment plant, but all the water in the country has turned to blood. And the magicians are finding out that Yes, they know how to do that, and they know the scientific formula, and they've got, they understand that, and those religious fanatics, they claim it's their God, but our magicians can do it too, and so we're not sure exactly what's happening. But it's happening to everybody. And then the last come, and they're on there, and they say, well, an unusual thing happened today. Uh, you, the polar vortex that came down was the last vortex. And it has brought lice on everybody, and everybody is suffering from lice. But then God sends flies, and this time the night news is really going to be really weird. The CNN reporter standing out there and saying, Moses and Aaron, these two quacks that come from the God of the Hebrews, they claim God was bringing on the flies. And man, there are flies everywhere. As I report this, I'm having a hard time. I know you can't hardly see me for all the flies. Hey, cameraman, get the flies out of here so they can see me. Hey, let's go, to our, let's go to our correspondent over in Goshen where God's people live and see how many flies there are. And they go over there and the, the Egyptian reporter's got flies all around his head. And all the, all the Hebrews walk around, no flies. All of them. I don't know what's going on. This is really weird. 
But God said, I'm going to show you that I'm big and I can do it. So look at chapter 8 and verse 22. I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, and there, that no swarms of flies shall be there. And you've got to underline what the point is. The flies are not the point. He says, to the end, that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. I can bring on blood. I can bring on frogs. I can even bring on flies and tell them to where to stop flying. You flies can fly up to right here and stop. Get to the county line and stop. Because that county line belongs to Goshen where God's people live. Verse 23, he put a division between his people and the world's people. Pharaoh can now see that it's God who's dealing with the Egyptians and not the Israelites. He knows something's happening that he can't understand. So he begins to bargain with God. And he says to God, okay. He says to God, Moses and Aaron, he says to him, eight, chapter 8, verse 25, he calls for him. And he said, all right, all right, all right, all right. Go and sacrifice to your God. But underline in verse 25, stay in the land. Stay here close to home. Don't go very far. You know, I don't mind you worshiping God. Just don't go crazy with it. I don't mind you loving Jesus. I could even put up with you wearing that necklace that's got a cross on it as long as you keep it under your blouse and I don't have to see it. And, 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 and just don't talk about Jesus where you work and don't talk about Jesus anywhere else and don't pray in public. Don't do anything that might call attention to it. Just go ahead and do your worship, but do it in the land. Moses answers in chapter 8 and verse 27, Nope. We're going to go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the God. That's how he told us to do it. Pharaoh, we're not taking instructions on how to worship God. We worship God based on how God wants to be worshipped. So Pharaoh says, okay, I'll, verse 28. you got to understand, this is really a funny story. Pharaoh has had his rear end kicked. He's getting, I mean, he's getting his backside kicked. I mean, he's had everything in the world happen. And CNN is regular. Can't you see him? Pharaoh, we'd like to get an opinion. What brought about the blood? Pharaoh, can we get an opinion? What brought about the lice? Pharaoh, why won't the flies go over into Goshen? So he says, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. Just don't go far away. Just don't go far away. And while you're there, pray for me at it. Okay, politicians playing sweet with us just because they have to. Later, Pharaoh will say they can go as long as they leave their children out of the worship service, and as long as they don't spend any money on it, they can go. The truth is that Pharaoh's heart is hard. He doesn't care what God wants, and he'll lie at any time about it. In chapter 8 and verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, and he wouldn't let the people go. Let me give you the last thing, and here I quit. What's the purpose of the story? The purpose of the story is chapter 8, verse 22. I hope you'll look at this. Mark this in your Bible. Go to chapter 8, verse 22. You've got to mark this in the story. See, when you listen to me, look up this way just a second. When you read these Bible stories, you got it, it's not about the lice, and it's not about the it's not about what the balls that are going to come, and it's not about the blood. It's it, there's a purpose behind the story, and the purpose behind the story is God is screaming, "I'm God! I'm God! I'm God!" And there is no other. I'm God! I'm God! Egypt, you'll know I'm God. That's the whole purpose. That's why God's willing to use losers like me and you. That's why I let a nobody like me teach a song 
Why'd let a nobody lead music in this church? Why'd let a nobody take up the offering in our church? Why'd let people like us, uh, uncircumcised lips, share the gospel because he's looking at us and saying, it ain't about them anyway, it's about me. So look at what it says if you would in chapter 8, verse 22. I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in the which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. And you need to put a circle around this. To the end. This is the reason. This is the reason. To the end. Thou mayest know that I am the Lord. Thou mayest know I am the Lord. And it's a funny thing he says here. He doesn't say I'm the Lord of the Hebrews. He says, I am God in the midst of the land. That's who I am. I'm God. Verse 23. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Do you know that he is God? Do you worship him as though he were really this powerful? God will show his power. He'll be glorified. He'll be worshipped. The world needs to know how great our God is. So let me just close it all up for you this way. He's a great God. If you believe that, say amen. He ought to be served by his people. If you believe that, say amen. Now I'd like to ask you what part of serving you're doing. One of the beautiful things about a church is there's a thousand things that need to be done in a church. And you may say, oh, I don't have enough time. And you may say, I don't feel connected to my church. I just don't feel connected. You don't feel connected because you don't connect. You don't come to church to connect. You come to church to serve. And when you serve, you'll feel connected. And you may be feeling like, uh, I, I, I just am afraid to get involved. And I'm afraid to try. I don't think I can. That's exactly where Moses was, but God used him to write five books of the Bible. He's a great man of God, but it's really not him. He's a man of a great God. And you may be thinking, but I don't have the authority, and I don't have the experience, and I don't have the know-how, and I'm not sure that I can do great stuff. We don't do anything in our own power and our own ability. We do it all in God's power. You may say, well, people might not listen. They certainly don't listen to Moses. This is not a story of Moses winning every argument. This is a story of every time Moses comes back out of the palace and when he walks out, the leaders of Israel say, All right, Moses, how'd it go? Hey, Mo, what happened? And Mo said, Well, he said he'd let us go, but by the time I got to the front gate, he'd already changed his mind. Things aren't working. But here's the key you need to get actively involved in helping train missionaries and helping train young people, and helping win people to Christ, and helping invite people, and helping share the gospel, because we have one major goal, that the world will know that He is God. That the world will know that He is God. He is God in the land. He is God in the land. There is so much false Christianity. There is so much junk done in the name of Jesus. There ought to be a place where a bunch of people would band together and say, we know He's God. And we're going to work like it's really true. We're going to act like it's really true. We're going to sing like it's true. You ought to populate the choir and practice like you've never practiced because he's God and he's worth it. You ought to be singing specials because you are a singer and you have the ability and you're a little bit nervous and you're afraid to approach the guys and say you could and you would. But you could if you just say, he's God. You can play an instrument. You ought to be playing an instrument. You can clean a building. You ought to be cleaning a building. You can invite your neighbor. You ought to be doing it because he's God. He's God. He's God. He's God. 
He wants the world to know. This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. For more information, log on to www.visionbaptist.com where you can find our service times, location, contact information, and more audio and video recordings.